I'm excited to announce our upcoming 2023 Banking with Life client-only event. It's going to happen in mid-October of 2023. It's going to happen downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Our whole team will be there. The team has been working very hard to make this an event that's not to be missed. I'll be there. Have an opportunity to meet me. Have an opportunity to meet the team. I'm going to be speaking. We'll have other guest speakers, and you'll have the opportunity to meet a room full of like-minded people. Think about that. A room full of people that are practicing becoming their own banker. They are practicing the infinite banking concept. You'll have the opportunity to meet with them and share with them. You got to be somewhere. You might as well be there. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm excited about today's show, even though it's not a long-form episode. What we've done, we've gone back and taken clips from previously released episodes on particular topics and points. I think they're powerful. I think they're worth listening to. When we talk about and touch on things like IUL, Index Universal Life, Jank Policy Structures, and PUA. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. You know, I, I got a question for you. How much indexed universal life do you sell as banking policy? Zero. Why? Because it's flawed by design. It's good for the company. It's good for the agent. And it's uh, terrible for the policy owner. You remember WC Fields? There's three entities in that. Right. The insurance company who issued the policy. Mm-hmm. The agent who sold the policy right. and the owner who bought the policy. Well, if it's good for two of them, you remember W.C. Fields? He said, well, hey, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Universal life is flawed by design and you cannot correct it. Yeah, but it illustrates beautifully, though. And that's why agents sell it and that's why people buy it. They're buying numbers on a page. And the agent, look, there's only, you ask me, so I'm telling you. No, I want to. I want to hear it. There's only two, in my opinion. There's two kinds of agents that sell Universal Life, and only two: ones who don't know what Universal Life does mm-hmm. over time, so they're ignorant. The other one knows what Universal Life does over time, and they sell it anyway, so they're less than honest. Look, if we're going to go down and buy a car, you better learn how to drive a car. You better know how to check the oil, change the water, change tires, you know. I mean, um, so there's a certain amount of education that that is at a minimum required, okay? Well, now, if I'm just looking at a life insurance illustration, and I'm trying to compare this life insurance illustration with another life insurance illustration with another life insurance illustration, I mean, I have to know the difference between dividend paying whole life and universal life, variable universal life, or this god-awful equity index universal life. The consumer, the, the owner should know enough of the asset that they're going to own, and they should be able to know enough between this illustration and that illustration to the extent that it affects them. Right now, if it's universal life, I should know some minimal, minimal characteristics of universal life before I put money into it. It's the same way with variable universal life or term life or this dividend paying whole life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's say that we've gone through the process I, because I'm interested in learning the infinite banking concept, becoming my own banker, where I can control the banking function as it relates to me in my personal economy. 
you can't put that value on a life insurance illustration, right? Whatever's on the, within the four corners of that piece of paper is right there. These life insurance policies are designed for premium to be paid. Okay, it's that simple. So if it's good, and it is, why would you want to limit what you put in? You wouldn't. Okay. And, and, and that brings me, you know, to some conversations that I've had recently. You know, the universal life. I'm explaining to these very able, capable individuals like, all of our listeners are, dividend-paying whole life didn't exist, a policy didn't exist until you purchased it. Once you purchased it, it becomes in existence. And it is more efficient every year that it exists. And the more premium you pay, the better it is. Just by the mere design you can't do any, you, it would be, you'll be hard pressed to break it. Okay. All right. So if that's true and it is, and it may take some time and, and some research to see that or figure that out. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you, once you see it, you embrace it. Okay. You compare that to universal life. Didn't exist until you signed the dotted line, paid a premium and created it. The further it goes out, the longer that it exists, it becomes less efficient by the mere existence because of the design. You can talk about illustrations all you want. You can use third-party examples and manipulate numbers to, to present uh, confusion, right? All you want to. Those two fundamental facts remain and you cannot change them. Life insurance issued by dividend paying or by mutual companies, dividend paying life insurance issued, issued by mutual companies. And, and when I say design correctly, I'm not talking about mutilating the policy, okay, at all, which is what goes on. All right. It gets better by the mere existence. You can't, you can, you can break it, but it's difficult. You have to make an effort to break that. Yeah. The existence of universal life gets less and less efficient by its mere existence. I've seen them. You can see them. They're all on the internet. You know, the universal life. I mean, they illustrate beautifully and you see all that going on. But whenever you talk about the infinite banking concept, because you're asked or prompted, you know, it's not like you're running around, you know, trying to tackle people to get them to listen to your elevator speech. But invariably, it always gets to, oh, yeah, we've done that for 20 years. Oh, I read Nelson's book 30 years ago. My dad used to do that. Mom, my uncle was a life insurance agent. And whatever reference that they have, they always share that with you. Yeah, I used to be a licensed. I used to sell life insurance. My dad sold life insurance. Oh, yeah, we did that. My dad funded my college out of his life insurance policy. You know, um, so... The, the implied is, well, everybody does this. Everybody's been doing it if you have life insurance, and everybody can do it. And at the end of the day, if you have a permanent life insurance policy with cash value, there are loan provisions. Right? I mean, you can collateralize the cash value, but that does not mean you're practicing the infinite banking concept. 
you know, the whole idea that you don't want to pay taxes and that you want to avoid taxes. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to pay one red cent above my obligation. You know, I mean, I want to pay and I do pay my obligations. and, And so, you know, we all know there's a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Okay. But when you get into the real estate world and this idea of 1031 exchange, 1031 exchange, or buy these God awful self-directed IRAs and go buy real estate in there, that really looks good on the short term. It's no different than, oh, go buy a 90-10 policy where there's 10% to the base. You have 90% of the premium available in cash value in year one. Every bit of it is short-term thinking. Every bit of it is a continuation of law thinking. Listen, man, if you want to own universal life and, you know, hope that it works out, perfect. If you want um, a death benefit that's payable, a natural mortality, term isn't going to provide that. And universal life is not going to provide the numbers that you think it illustrates. The only thing that's going to provide a guaranteed death benefit at natural mortality is a whole life policy that has the premiums paid. If 90-10 is good, if 85-15 is good, if 80-20 is good, or whatever variation, if that percentage of premium to the PUA should be the highest, um, why wouldn't you buy 97% PUA and a 3% base premium policy? Why wouldn't you do that? Oh, and it can be done. So these promoters of 90-10 are just not, you know, they're being less than honest and say, oh, you can't do this. Or you can't do that. No, you can with some companies do that. So if 90 is good, 97 must be better, right? James, what is this, an 80-20 or 90-10, a 50-50, 60-40? What kind of question is that? You know, it's like, I don't know. Let's see what it is. That's the best solution for you. Let's let's figure it out. The guy paid 97% to the PUA. So this idea that you can only do 90-10 is a lie, okay? You're going up to the limit on those particular companies that they promote. You want to pay a large base premium, as large as you can wrap your mind around, which means then you want to pay as high of a base premium in the early years as you can see your way clear getting past that loss of liquidity in the first couple of years. And whenever you see the uh, enticement to purchase a customized policy just you know fill out this and we'll send you an illustration that's customized really can you even do that especially if a premium to the base and a premium to the PUA the two main components of an infinite banking concept policy are fixed all right so you know, I'm just saying if, you know, um, every infinite banking policy must be 90-10 or 80-20 or 70-30 or 60-40. Tell me what is customized about that? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. 
that is a wrong place to start from. And I say that all the time, and I've said it many times. So my encouragement is I'm just saying, the longer you pay premiums, the better off you'll be. The higher the base premium, the better off you'll be. And when you work with somebody who's competent and passionate, straightforward and honest, um, and has your best interest at heart, yes, even though they're getting paid, and they should get paid. If you want them to work for free, shame on you. I must say, and I've said it before, if 1090 is best, 97.3 is better, and don't let anyone tell you different. That's just logic. If 1090 is good, let's get to 98.2. If I'm going to structure this big old 1090 policy, I've got to buy a ton of death benefit, right? Okay, and if I use annual renewable term or any kind of decreasing term, or I, I'm purchasing that, whether it's from the PUA premium or the dividend of the PUA is buying the death benefit, you know, the cost of that term is going to go up over time. And what happens? What happens if, you know, things happen that's unexpected? I paid a big old first year premium. I've leveraged the fire out of that. So I could buy turnkey real estate as an example, right? Because you hear it all the time, right? Um, and then, you know, something doesn't go right in the second, third, or fourth year. If you lower your premium, I'm, here's a fair question. If you lower your premium, is that going to recalculate the MEC? And if the MEC recalculates, are you ever going to be able to pay that high premium again? And the answer is yes and no. And then, oh, wait, illustrations don't matter, do they, James? Yes, of course they matter. Nobody's illustrating what's going to happen out there in the future. If you want an illustration that illustrates the best without mecking, without any problems, the universal life illustration is going to look the best. Right, the second best is going to be these contorted Frankenstein policies, mm -hmm. right? And there's, there's a result, an end result of all of these variations, these machinations, right, that are violating everything that Nelson taught and stood for. And the problems are going to be future problems, probably at a point in time when you can't correct it or, or have no desire to correct it. And some of the problems can be tragic. I'm talking about taxable events in future years. There's no way that these policies are going to produce an income and a death benefit. I don't care what you say. And even in my talk in Birmingham, I asked, I asked if there were any actuaries in the room, right? There were some home office people in the room, but I asked specifically if there were any actuaries as I'm going through this. Of course, there was none. But not one home office person could dispute what I was saying because what I was saying and what we're saying is factual and true. Okay, um, I can go on. But my point being is the internal rate of return does not go up on those illustrations even if they performed as illustrated, which they cannot, they're going to mech in the future after the seventh year, after the 10th year, in the 11th year and beyond. And um, we talk about this all the time because all of these videos that are popping up on my left, your right, talk a lot of them talk about all of these variations, universal, law, 90, 10, pay seven and no more, pay four. And, and my encouragement is to, you know, educate yourself, you know, read Nelson's work. Interest rates are going like crazy up in the 80s. And you have Ralph Nader on the scene, you know, the, the champion of the consumer. And then you have A.L. Williams and Wall Street colluding with the Senate to uh, beat up single premium whole lot. The, the argument was that it was a 
loophole for the rich, this idea of life insurance, single premium life insurance. People are putting $200,000 in. Next year, it's you know worth two hundred and twenty, and they're canceling their policy, and it's tax-free growth. And so, yeah, all the rich people were doing that, right? So we got to shut that down. So here, the life insurance industry is like on the ropes, and they're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Well, here, let's create a new product. You know, and we can sell it to all the brokers like EF Hutton, and they'll sell it to all their brokerage uh, clients. Um, and what it does, it kind of tries to unbundle life insurance, right? It tries to separate the cost of life insurance with this side account that earns interest. Well, interest rates are very high, so it doesn't take, you know, uh, much imagination just to use a 10, 12% internal rate of return on that side account as a cash accumulation portion of the life insurance. And then you just attach lifetime term onto that. So think about, think about those for a minute. What have interest rates done for the last 40 years? Come straight down, right? Okay. And people are living longer. And so what happens to, the the life insurance premium, the term life insurance premium, every year I have a birthday, I'm getting closer and closer to mortality. So the cost, the mortality, the cost of insurance, the mortality charge increases. So if you just put that on a graph, right? Your life expectancy, you're gonna live to 100. Well, hell, what is the cost of life insurance at age 99? All right, pretty dang high because you're probably dying next year. Right. So my whole point is this. They, they separated it in a high interest rate environment. This is just universal life, the first version of universal life. You have the high interest rates that you can illustrate as a side account or the accumulation. Um, you know, in 10 or 12% rates of returns on CDs is going to overcome the increasing costs of the death benefit. So they illustrate beautifully in the 80s. Most all of those policies are lapsed or they paid out. Some people have died, no question. Most of them are not in force. And the ones that um, stayed in force the longest, they've had increased premium requirements and, or probably both, decreased death benefits. The ability to pay a high premium, PUA premium in the latter years is not there. Right, and the death benefit has already been purchased. And yeah. I want to say that the death benefit will go down. All right, so even the idea, you have to use a, you dang near have to use a blended PUA to get to that construct and that whole idea of a blended PUA, you know, and, and why wouldn't the insurance companies create that, right? Of course, because it's on the idea of decreasing term, you know, that idea of you have an increasing cash value and an increasing permanent death benefit, then you can use a decreasing term. Oh my gosh, how old is that idea? And the blended PUA is just the latest version of that, right? So, at time of natural mortality, you'll have less death benefit. Well, who does that benefit? The company that issued it. So buy all of that you want and buy it from a company that I own as well because I'm, you know, we're using mutual companies and, and I'm the owner, you know, part owner of that mutual company and you're increasing the profitability of that company, which is going to accrue to me in the form of dividends. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. 
If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.